Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. God bless you. We're so glad that you're joining us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 12, and I want you to put your finger there. And then also mark uh, Matthew chapter 24, two passages I want to get us started. And uh, we are wrapping up a series, It Takes a Village. Come on, somebody say the village. And this has been a great journey for us. I guess the last month and a half or so, we've talked about a number of different things. And um, I actually had something prepared to teach this weekend, and I felt like God called an audible. How many know that uh, we can make plans, but the purposes of God work a little bit better than our own plans? So if you'll give me a little latitude today to shift gears, um, I intended on sharing one thing, and then as I prayed and studied this week, I really felt God wanted me to talk about what's happening in our country, what's happening in our community, and kind of the culture and the times that we're living in. We live in some very interesting times, do we not? Very interesting. You know, I was thinking about the village, and I'm so thankful for the village of HPC. I am, I am blessed. My life has been a product of this great environment for almost 25 years. You know, I, I thought about how your love has shaped me. Your love for God, it has influenced me. Your, your worship of God, it inspires me. Your generosity to God, it humbles me. Your passion for God, it challenges me. Your trust in God blesses me. Your hunger for God draws me. There, there's something about the village of HPC that it has influenced my life for eternity. Um, I thought about this. You know, there's a, how many ever heard of the koi fish? Anybody ever heard of a koi fish? It's a brightly colored freshwater fish that originates from the Far East. Did you know that if you take a koi fish and you put it in a small bowl, that fish will grow two inches in length. Did you know that? Two inches. But if you take that same fish out of the bowl and put it into an aquarium, it will grow eight inches in length. Same fish, different environment. You take it out of that aquarium and you put it in a pond and that fish will grow 18 inches in length. From two to eight to 18. But they say you take it out of the pond and put that same fish in a big freshwater lake and it will grow 42 inches long. Now I want you to think about it. That little koi fish had the capacity to be 42 inches from the very beginning, but it was restricted by its environment. How many of you know environment is important? And when we think about the village here at HPC, I'm so thankful for an environment. Now, it's not a perfect place. We say that every week, but it's a healthy place. It's a life-giving place. I believe in this environment, you can reach all 42 inches of the kingdom of God in your life. Can I have a good amen? And so I thought, okay, what's the best way to finish this series, It Takes a Village? And, you know, I thought about this scripture in 1 Chronicles 12, 32. The Bible says this. Uh, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times, and they knew the best course for Israel to take. 
Now notice I highlighted two phrases in that verse that I think are very interesting. The children of Issachar, these were men who understood the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. You know, there are two kinds of people. There are those who know the time, but they have no idea what to do. And then there are others who think they know what to do, but they have no idea the time or the season that they're in. When I thought about the world that we live in, I thought about our country, you know, some of the things that you, you, you see on TV, if you watch the news, how many of you watch the news and, and maybe you follow some things on social media and you just get depressed? Oh, man. You think, I mean, what in the world is going on? Sometimes the, the messages we hear from our nation's capital, what we hear from the White House, sometimes it can be very polarizing. You know, sometimes it can be very confusing. Um, you know, as you watch sports, I mean, you, you can't watch a football game and, okay, well, do, do we stand for the national anthem or do we, do we kneel for the national anthem or, you know, what messages, what dots are we connecting? How do we make sense of what's happening in our country? And then as it relates to, you know, some of our enemies overseas, you know, the threat of nuclear war that's looming and, you know, some of the discussion and the dialogue and the posturing of these political figures, what's the world coming to? And then like, like me, I mean, I'm sure some of you watched the news and thought about all the natural disasters that have happened over the last six weeks. I mean, the, the, the crazy wildfires in California, the earthquakes that happened in Mexico, and, you know, the, the, the storms, the, these hurricanes that are blowing through the Caribbean, and, and people have lost everything. I'm thinking, what is going on in the world? How many of you know we live in some very interesting times? And, and I thought about that. You know, what do you do based on the times that you're living in? As a village, what's our responsibility in this day and age. We've got to understand the times. We've got to see the signs of the time, but then we've got to know what to do. I want to talk to you within those two realms. Read with me in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 3. Bible says this. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately, and they said, Lord, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? How many of you know 2,000 years ago they were asking the same questions? What does all this mean? And, you know, what's going to be happening? And we hear you say some things, but give us a clue as to what to do. How many know if you've got questions, you've got to ask the right person? I'm not going to ask somebody who barely knows what they're doing with their life. I want to go to somebody that's got some authority. The disciples brought this same question to Jesus and said, Lord, tell us what's going to signal your return. What's going to be happening when the end of the world comes? This is what he says, verse 4. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name and they'll claim I'm the Messiah. They will deceive many. Somebody say many. Mm -mm -mm. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation. Kingdom will rise up against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Now, when I read that today, 
with the backdrop of what's happening in our community, in our country, and in our world, what is that saying to you? Can I tell you this? The return of Christ is nearer than it's ever been. I mean, these signs you're beginning to see take place all across the earth. And and Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, I'm giving you the answer. I want you to be prepared. I'm, I'm talking to you about protecting the village today. How many know God has something specific for us as a village? He hasn't dropped us in the world and said, hey, figure it out. Things are going crazy. I hope you make it. Good luck. How many know Jesus says, I'm going to tell you what's going to be happening. I'm going to give you some signs. I don't want you to be confused. As as this thing begins to unfold, I want you to see how all of these worldly events, they're happening for kingdom purpose. Jesus is coming back. You know, you you, you think about the, the, the pressure and the tension, you know, that, that, that's all throughout our country. I thought about pressure and fire, pressure and fire. You know, when pressure and fire come together, some amazing things happen. In a carbon-rich environment, together, pressure and fire, they make diamonds. And I thought about, Lord, what an important time for us as a church. You know, I'm not afraid of the end times. You know, I'm not confused by the end times. Lord, you've, play, you've played it out in Scripture. You've shown us already. And when pressure and fire come together, special things happen. I want you to know these are great days for us to be alive in the earth today. As a church, God has a specific assignment for us as a village. But, you know, the enemy would come against us, and there are some specific things that the devil uses against the village of God. And I want to talk to you about a a handful of those things this morning. If you're taking notes, the first thing is this. I want you to write these thoughts down. Three things the devil uses against the village. First of all, number one, he uses division. Everybody say division. Ah, so divisive. Do, Do you sense how divided we are as a nation? Do do you see that? Do you you feel that? It's crazy. And that's a tool of the enemy. The devil knows that when God's people comes to, when they come together, when we're united together in singleness of heart and singleness of purpose, there is power. And so the enemy will do everything within his power to create division. How many of you know that when you throw dirt, you lose ground? Come on, some of you will catch that. If you're always throwing dirt at people, I mean, it's hard to stand on ground when you're constantly throwing that ground at somebody else. And the devil would love to divide us and get us looking at everything that's different about us. It's it's a shame that, you know, we spend so much time and so much energy picking each other apart. Oh, my goodness. You know what I thought about? You know, there's a difference between a vulture and a hummingbird, right? I mean, now now they're both birds, both part of the same family, but they're two very different creatures. One of them is attracted to death. The other's attracted to life. You know, a vulture, he'll fly over living things. He's got great eyesight, can, can see things from miles away. A vulture will fly over living things to find a dead carcass on the side of the road. But a hummingbird will fly over dead things in order to find life. He'll see a flower and draw nectar out of that flower because he's attracted to life, whereas the vulture is attracted to death. Here's the lesson. You get what you're looking for. 
If you're looking for death, you can find it. But if you're looking for life, you can find that too. Some people are just looking for something to criticize. If you want to critique and criticize, I promise you, there's plenty out there to choose from. But if you're drawn to death, that'll be the only thing that you see. But if you're committed to life, come on somebody. Man, you'll, you'll fly over dead things that bring no life to you and be drawn and attracted to something that's life-giving. I'm not looking for something to criticize. I'm looking for something to celebrate. And I just wish as a church we would be more committed to the things that unite us instead of pay attention to everything that divides us. I, come on, if you believe that, put your hands together. It blows me away. I am blown away because I think division is ultimately a tool of the devil to distract us from what really matters most. That's why you come to Healing Place and you will never hear a pastor stand on this platform and tear another church down. We're just not going to do it. Why? Because we're attracted to life. I just think there's so much to celebrate in the body of Christ. Why would we waste time and energy to try to pick each other apart just to make ourselves feel better at somebody else's expense? We got to be drawn to life. We got to focus on what matters. Man, I'm committed to celebrate people. I won't be like a hummingbird. I'm going to find me life. I'm going to find the nectar in a flower. I'm going to that. I'm not going to be drawn to, to death, the things that just tear down. Focus on what unites us. Please hear me. If we're going to maintain strength as a village, we got to focus on the things that unite us. I know there's a lot of things that could divide us. I mean, we're different. I mean, look at that person sitting next to you. Just look at them. Check them out real quick. Just check them out. I mean, no, they're different. Can you imagine that nose on your face? That hairstyle on your head? Somebody like, yes, Lord, give me some hair. <laughs> Why we got to pick each other apart over everything that's not like us? Can I give you a little newsflash? There are going to be a lot of different people up in heaven. You know, I, I just, this, this may surprise some people. I think some people, when they get to heaven, they're going to be very surprised that it wasn't just them and their crew that made it to heaven. And diversity is something we ought to celebrate. It ought to be, it ought to be something we embrace. Because people that don't look like me or think like me, that weren't raised like me, that, that have different thoughts about different things. But listen, uh, amidst all the things that could divide us, I want you to hear what unites us. His name is Jesus. And the one thing that unites us is greater than anything that could divide us. Why don't we make it about Jesus? You see, if we keep the main thing the main thing, then all those minor things, they stay small. But, you know, all the stuff that's happening in the world, whether it's, you know, the, 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 the political issues or, you know, the national anthem or the threat of nuclear war or, you know, even natural disasters. You know, you throw social media on top of that and that's like gasoline to fire. Social media will exploit differences and it gives people a platform to tear others down. Listen, let's make a decision that when we're in this village, we're going to build people up. We're about unity. We're about life. We're about speaking life and, and blessing people, not about tearing somebody down. Listen, don't divide the body. You're a part of the body of Christ. Don't divide it. 
You know what I was thinking about? Remember in 1 Kings chapter 3, after King Solomon, he prayed, Lord, give me wisdom. Oh, God, I just need wisdom. I don't know how to lead this nation apart from wisdom. As soon as he prayed that prayer, you remember the first decision he had to make? These two ladies stood before King Solomon, and they were arguing. Two ladies, and there was only one baby. Remember that? Read that chapter. It's fascinating. These two ladies gave birth at the same time. They were living together, and so they had these newborns. In the middle of the night, one of the moms rolls over her child, smothers it, and suffocates it, and it dies. Well, she, in the middle of the night, switched babies and placed the dead baby in the other lady's bed and brought the living infant in hers. And now they're both arguing over whose child it is. So they come before the king, and they tell him this story. He's got to make a decision on who the real mom is. You know what he said? He said, bring me the royal sword. What? They get him the sword. He says, I know what we'll do. There's two babies. I mean, there's two moms. There's only one baby. We'll cut this baby in half. And the real mom said, oh, no, 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 no. Don't divide the baby. Please give it to her. Please give life to that child. The other one said, yes, go ahead and cut the baby in two. Solomon says, I know who the real mom is. Because the real mom would never divide the baby. Hear me. True Christians don't divide the body. True believers will sacrifice in order that that body may have life. Can I have a better amen? Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost today. If you are creating division in the body of Christ, Proverbs says that's an abomination. And God will deal with those who bring division. Tell you what, we're going to have to fight, not each other, but we're going to have to fight to stay in unity with one another. You got to, we got to work at this thing, you know, because the watching world looks at the church. In fact, listen to this. Listen to what Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Lord, I pray that they, now he's talking about the disciples, that the church, I pray that they will be, everybody say one. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one as you are in me, Father, and I'm in you, and may they be in us. Why? So the world will believe that you sent me. You know what? When the body of Christ dwells together in unity, it confirms to the world that the gospel works. Why? A watching world will look and see if there's division in this house. Hey, why would the world ever come to the church if when they get here, all they find is more of themselves? There ought to be something different about this village. We're for each other. We believe in one another. We're committed to each other. Now, we may be different. We don't all have to think alike. Uh, Listen, you don't always have to agree to be in unity. Can I say that again? It is okay for someone sitting next to you to have a different opinion than you do about something and you can still get along. Unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and love in all things. Unity in the essentials. Hey, listen, we are one body. We serve one Lord. There's one spirit, one faith, one baptism. There's something significant that happens when the village comes together as one. The psalmist said it this way, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Why? Because it's like the, the ointment, the precious ointment upon the head of Aaron that ran down his beard, down to the skirts of his garment. For there the Lord commanded the blessing and life forevermore. 
That tells me that where there's unity, there's an anointing and there's a blessing. How many of you want to walk in that blessing? How many of you need the anointing, the help of God to do what he's called you to do? Mm-mm-mm. Division. It's a tool of the devil. I thought about this. You, you, you ever go to a restaurant? How many of you like sweet tea? God, I love some sweet tea. Ooh, yes, indeed. I think when we get to heaven, the marriage supper of the lamb, a little glass of sweet tea right there. I love sweet tea. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you ordered sweet tea? Do y'all have any sweet tea? And they say no, but then they offer this sorry substitute. They say, oh, but we got these little packets right here on your table. You're like, for real? They think it's the equivalent to sweet tea. It's the yellow packets or pink packets or blue packets. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. We, got, oh, we don't have sweet tea, but we got these little alternatives. How many of you know you put that in your cold iced tea? Can I tell you, in the South, we know about sweet tea. What do you do? You, you, you boil some water, you put in some tea bags. I'm going to give you a little sweet tea 101. Boil some water, put in some, some tea bags, let it steep, all right? Then in your pitcher, you put in about, oh, a lot of sugar about that. Come on, are you with me? Holy Ghost right here. Put in, put in a lot of sugar in the bottom of that container. And then when the tea is hot, it's still hot, you pour it into that pitcher. And then when you start to stir, it's amazing how all that sugar just dissolves throughout the, t- the, the contents of that tea, and it becomes as one. You see, those little packets on the table, that's some sorry substitute. That ain't sweet tea. Can I have a good amen? That sugar dissolves in the tea and it becomes as one. I wonder if God looks down from heaven and says, oh, I just wish my body would be a little more like sweet tea. Because he takes his spirit and he puts it inside of us and we become as one with him. If we're one with God, why can't we become one with each other? Don't let division. You see, united we stand, but divided we fall. Don't let the enemy create division. Some of you, he's creating division in your home. He's trying to create division in your marriage. Say, man, you got to find some common ground. I know there's a lot of differences. Maybe there's some problems. You know, I talked to one lady. And I encouraged her. I said, listen, you got to remember what you love about this man. And she was struggling, racking her brain, trying to remember what she loved. I said, if you got to hire a search party to find all that stuff, look for life. Look for life. Number one, the enemy uses division against us. Number two, here's the second thing. I'm talking to the village today. Talking about our culture, talking about our country and the times that we live in. Number two, not only does he use division, but he uses confusion. Confusion. I think we have kidnapped common sense. Come on, somebody. What have we done with common sense in this country? We've kidnapped. Listen, when you walk away from common sense, you open the door to confusion. Ever watch the news or you listen to some people talk and you're thinking, what? Am I on a different planet? I mean, people think it's just all crazy. We've held common sense hostage. Listen, the Holy Spirit is all about common sense. He gave you a brain. 
You, you, you use common sense in making decisions, but sometimes you talk to people or you see what's happening in, in, the, in, the, in the earth and you're like, oh my goodness, what have we come to? We're confused. I want to tell you the twin brother to confusion, deception. People are deceived. And I'm saying this, and I'm not saying it in the terms of, well, I've got all the answers. How many of you have ever been through a season of confusion? Anybody ever been confused? Yeah, some of the, you know, yeah, my first couple of marriages, I was confused. <laughs> I know you go through a season of confusion. You, uh, you ever just kind of been at a loss and you're kind of disoriented and how to making decisions? Listen, if you're trying to make important decisions under a spirit of confusion, you will mess your life up. Talk to a lady. That, she's actually on staff here at the church. She, uh, she was considering starting a jewelry business. And so talked to a friend and her friend said, well, you need to go to this, you need to go to this market. You need to go, go to the World Trade Center and do this, this market deal. And you know, if you'll go check out, they got all kinds of stuff, jewelry show, whatever, whatever. So she gave her the address. So this lady, she and her mom, they drive all the way to Houston and they're, they're looking for the World Trade Center. They got the address. They're driving. They left at five o'clock in the morning, left Louisiana at 5 a.m. They get over to Houston looking for this address and they can't find it. They're actually in some residential neighborhood looking for the World Trade Center market. And so they got the right address, but they're looking at a house. So they go knock on the door. <laughs> Is this the World Trade Center? They're like, what? No. This is like, you know, the woodlands. I, I don't know. Okay. They went driving down. They looked for every tall building in Houston they could find. Finally, at 10 o'clock at night, they find themselves in the inner city of Houston at the bus station. And she calls her friend and she said, hey, I have exhausted. I've done everything I know to do. You know, is this the right address? She quotes the address. And the lady said, what city are you in? She said, I'm in Houston. She said, baby. You're supposed to be in Dallas. How many of you know that when you're operating off of a faulty map? Listen, you can have a map of Dallas, remove the label, put Houston on it. Both cities are legit, but your coordinates are all messed up. Faulty maps will lead you in a wrong place. That's why Jesus said, I've given you something. I've given you a map that will keep you out of confusion. This map will bring clarity to your life. I've given you some coordinates. There's some instructions here. And if you make decisions for your future based on this map, you'll end up in the right place. If you make decisions for your relationships built on, based on this map, you'll end up in the right place. I, I just think it's so important because the enemy wants to turn our world upside down. Some of you work with people that are totally confused. Some of your neighbors, totally confused. Can I tell you something? The devil is a liar. He is a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Not only is he a liar, but he's a good liar. He's been doing this for a long time. Can I tell you? Look, look at this scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. He's jumbled up their minds. They can't even see it, the scripture says. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Can I tell you what we need? We need to return to this book. 
This is the standard for truth. That's why I pray that when you come here on Sundays, you, you're not listening to man's opinion. You're not listening to popular you know, philosophy, but you're getting something that can penetrate the lies, the layers, the darkness of the enemy, and that's the truth of God's word. How many of you, you need clarity when it comes to your life, comes to your children, comes to your future? I, I don't want to live confused. You know, I, I thought about again, even this week in Genesis 11, remember when there was just one language in the world? And in Genesis 11, the Bible says that they all came together and they said, let's build a tower, the tower of Babel. How many of you knows what I'm, you remember that? Genesis 11, read it. The tower of Babel, they begin to build this tower and they say, if we build this fortress, then we'll never be scattered across the earth. And God looked down from heaven and said, whoa, if they do this, nothing is impossible. Because they were in unity, they all spoke the same language. Nothing will be impossible to them. So you know what he did? He confused their language. And immediately progress stopped because confusion set in. All right? Now fast forward to the day of Pentecost. 120 were gathered in an upper room. There was unity. They were praying. They were waiting for the promise. What did God do? He poured out his spirit upon them. They began to speak in other languages. Now they're speaking in tongues, and everybody in Jerusalem's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We hear people speaking in our own native tongue. What is this? It was the great outpouring that God had promised. Listen, what the Tower of Babel scattered, the day of Pentecost gathered. God said, no, no, I'm going to eliminate confusion. I'm going to give you clarity. I'm going to give you truth. Listen, I want you to be a part of this village. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know who you are in Christ. I know who I am in Jesus. I know what Jesus has done for me. I know I've been bought with a price. I know I've been saved by the blood of the lamb. I know I've been redeemed. I know God has set me free. He has healed me. He has set my feet on solid ground. I know my future is entrusted to an almighty God. I know that the devil is defeated. I know that every day I live by grace. I know that each and every day his mercies are made new. I know that I know that I know that I know. Don't let the devil talk you out of something that you already know in your soul. Everybody say division. division. Say confusion. <laughs> Look at this scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Scripture reminds us God is not the author of confusion, but of what? Peace. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. God's not the author of confusion. If it's confusing, it's not God. What does God do? He's the source of peace as in all the churches of the saints. You know what my prayer is for you and for this village? That we won't be divided, but we're united in Christ. That we won't walk under confusion, a cloud of craziness, but there will be clarity because we know the truth of his word. And then finally, the last thing. Here's the, last, the, 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 the tool, the weapon of the enemy against the village. And I know there are many of them, but the last one I want to talk to you about today, the third one is fear fear. Interesting to me how you look at what's happening in the landscape of the earth. You talk about the return of Christ and what those days will look like, and sometimes there's fear that can jump on people. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1-7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. It doesn't mean that your life won't bump up against fear, but he's saying there's no spirit of fear that will dominate you. I'm not giving you a spirit of fear, but what? Power, 
love. Ooh, there's common sense again. Wow. Power, love, common sense. I remember hearing a story from Ravi Zacharias. How many's heard of Ravi Zacharias? Strong. This guy, he's an apologist, and he's a theologian. So well-spoken. He's just brilliant. And he was telling a story. I heard it several weeks ago. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, when, when the United States was involved in the Vietnam War, he flew over to Vietnam, and he was uh, ministering to the troops over there. He was preaching. God had blessed him. You know, of course, his ministry is worldwide. But he was preaching specifically to the American troops, trying to encourage them. And he had a 17-year-old interpreter. So he's speaking not only to the American soldiers, but to, to all those that they had partnered with, you know, our friends and allies there. And so God had really blessed the ministry, late 60s, early 70s. Well, when the war ended, Ravi and his ministry team came back home. But the Viet Cong came in after the war, and they began to oppress people. In fact, this 17-year-old interpreter, they, they, they captured him, and they put him in a prison camp with a number of other people. And for years, they tortured this young man. And they tried to replace his knowledge of God with Marxism, tried to totally erase any history or, or loyalty or, or commitment that he had to the things of God. And so it, they break these guys down, had beaten them, I mean, just for, for days and weeks and months and finally years. So this interpreter now, he, he's being held hostage in a prison camp and he's beginning to lose hope. One day he woke up and he said, God, I'm not praying today. I don't feel you, I don't see you, I don't sense you. I'm not praying today. Well, that morning he got assigned to toilet duty. The commanding officer of that prison camp ordered him to clean the toilets. You can imagine how nasty, how horrid. And he's there cleaning these commodes and he sees a a piece of paper and it caught his eye because in the top right corner were words in English. And he hadn't seen or spoken English in years, just Vietnamese and French. He sees this this sheet of paper and it had feces and excrement all over it. And he wipes it down, cleans it up, puts it in his pocket. Later that night when all the prisoners were asleep, he pulls out that paper and he looks at it and he sees Romans 8, 28, which says, and we know all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. He reads Romans 8, 28. He said he cried like a baby. He felt God. That morning he said, God, I'm not praying anymore. I'm done. He said he felt like that was God's way of reaching out to him saying, I'm not done with you. Well, the next day he wakes up and he goes to the commanding officer of that prison camp and he says, will you give me bathroom duty again? And so the next day, sure enough, he's cleaning the toilets. He sees another sheet of paper. It's got English on it. He wipes off all of the the feces and the excrement, puts it in his pocket. What had happened, the commanding officer of that prison camp had been given a Bible, and he was ripping it out page by page and using it for toilet paper. And every day that guy would clean the toilets, that toilet paper had become his devotions. Every single day, page by page, he would read it. He felt hope coming back to his heart. Man, God was telling him, I'm with you, I'm for you, I haven't forgotten you, don't be afraid. Well, some of the prisoners of that camp had gotten together and made a plan that they were going to escape. 
And this, this interpreter was a part of it. Well, they were confronted by some of those officers and they said, listen, we heard there's an escape plan. Is that true? And this interpreter said, oh, no, no, I don't know anything about it. Well, later on that night, God convicted him. And so he repented to, to God and he said, Lord, if you, if you give me a chance, I'll tell the truth. If they ask me again, I'll tell them the truth. So the next day, 45 minutes before they were supposed to exit, their, their escape plan. The, the, the officers came to him, asked him again, hey, we hear there's an escape plan. Do you know anything about it? Are you a part of it? He said, yes, I am. They said, please take us with you. And so that night, 12 prisoners and four commanding officers under the cover of night slipped through that prison camp and they sailed the rough seas of, across Thailand and made it all the way to the west coast of the United States. And do you know that interpreter is now a Bible college professor in Los Angeles? God had reminded him, listen, I am with you. I am for you. Do not be afraid. See, sometimes God has to do some supernatural things to remind us that there's still light that shines in us. The psalmist said in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Listen, when it comes to the village of HPC, we're for unity, not division. We're for clarity, not confusion. And we will walk in strength and power, and we will not be afraid. Can I have a good amen? You received that this morning. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.